Stephen, glad you're here. Glad you made the effort to be here. We're going to get started tonight. First off, let's thank everybody that had a part in our meal. What an awesome meal we had tonight. Very good job. Marco's got a whole room full of kids over there, and he says, the meal matters. I said, the meal absolutely does matter. So everybody had a part in that good job. Let's start off with a word of prayer this evening. Great Father, we come. We're thankful for today. We're thankful for an opportunity to come together in the middle of the week and to hear from you to hear your truth. I pray, Lord, that it would shape us, that it would build us, that it would equip us, that it would change us. Uh, We're thankful for a church that we can fellowship in, a church where we can be confident we're going to hear the word of God in, a church where we can be encouraged in the hard parts of life as we we pray for each other and walk with each other. Lord, we're thankful for this night of of food and fellowship, and and we praise you uh, for, again, this opportunity. I pray now as we begin to study your word, as we begin to, to look into your word, I pray that it bears much fruit and that it, that it builds a people uh, that bring much glory to you. I pray for our kids' classes uh, meeting right now. Be in the center of them, Lord. Uh, let, a, let a foundation be built that, that stacks, uh, that will endure, and that where, where they will have the truth uh, to turn to and to stand on. I pray for our youth again a good group meeting tonight. I pray that you bless them as well, that you use that time again to, to continue to build a foundation in a world that would try to tear it all apart. I pray for our other classes meeting tonight as well. Lord, bless them, use them, and then we just praise you and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, as we've moved along in our Bible study, we started seeing this pattern. Really, it doesn't take very long for it to happen, but we start seeing this pattern that Israel goes through a cycle of rebellion where they turn away from God. Uh, They know better. They know the word of God, but they turn away from God. And then they come back in repentance and and, uh, they remember the word of God. They come back in sorrow. A lot of times uh, God's judgment brings them to that place and they return to God. And it's this cycle that happens uh, over and over and over again. Sometimes I read that and you wonder how many times would it take uh, to figure it out, how many times are we going to keep doing the same thing? We hear, uh, we turn, we reject, we end up in trouble, and then they turn and, and, and come back. And then I think about, uh, as, as crazy as that seems, that's pretty much the pattern of our world today. That's our life uh, as individuals as well. We forget, we drift away, and, and, and things go crazy, and then God gets our attention, and we come back, hopefully come back in repentance. Well, During the time of that cycle, uh, God used appointed judges to basically lead his nation. They were to remind them of God's word. They were to draw them back to God's word. And then they were also used to defeat the nations uh, that had come up against the nation of Israel. And so uh, the book of Judges is the record of that. This judge led and then this judge led. Some of them we know very well, some of them we don't know very uh, much about, but we see again God's record of this cycle, and then, and then God's judges as they lead them uh, through that. So the book of Judges records that. Uh, we went very fast, very quickly through that. Last week, we looked at the book of Ruth, a very awesome study, some very profound truths that we see in the book of Ruth that takes place in the time of the judges. And so again, Uh, from that time period. Well, as we move along, and again, we're moving very quickly. Uh, We've actually just 
just begun. It's been 28 weeks, but we're actually covering a whole lot of ground as we move uh, along. As we move along, there is a change that is coming. They're going to go from judges to kings, from judges uh, that lead the nation to kings that will lead the nation. Well, tonight we're going to start the unfolding of that process. Uh, it takes a little time. There's some things that happen, and then that process unfolds. And so that's where we're going to start back tonight. Again, our lesson, our Bible study is entitled The Grand Scheme of Things. Uh, it's pretty awesome to see every week how no matter where we go, no matter what the subject is, it always comes back to Christ. And that's pretty awesome to see. Well, guess what? I can tell you already, uh, we're going to come back to Christ. Carrie was saying earlier, if you just ask a trivia question, they could win because the answer is going to be Jesus uh, by the end of the study. So the grand scheme of things, this is the 28th week, the 28th lesson. Uh, the title is When God Calls. When God Calls. Now our verses, again, we have a broad section of verses tonight. First Samuel chapters 1 through chapter 16. Uh, we're not going to be able to cover all of that. That's how it is every single week. So and I would encourage you in the evening, maybe in the morning, whenever you read your Bible, if you could try to keep pace, uh, it'll help you see what's happening and give you a, an understanding, and God will bless that. So again, a pretty good chunk of, of verses, chapters 1 through chapter 16. We're just going to take a portion of that out tonight. The key point uh, for our study tonight is this. People notoriously believe they know what they need. God, however, knows and provides the true needs of man. Now, that's a pretty simple statement. It's also pretty, uh, pretty profound at the exact same time. Uh, isn't that the truth? We think we know. You know what? I need this. If God would just do this, if I would just have these things, if these things would fall into place, everything would be okay. We believe we know what we need. God, however, knows and provides the true need. And that's, a, that's an awesome, awesome truth. We're going to see that in our Bible study tonight. Tonight we move to the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, in our study, we're going to meet a man named Elkanah and his two wives. Now, I think I better take an exit right here and explain something. It happens a lot. Uh, if we're not careful to explain it, we might misunderstand this. But I want to say right here, and I want to be very clear, God's plan has always been from the very start for a man to have a wife, for there to be one husband and one wife. We say, well, there sure are a lot of accounts where they have several wives. Uh, God's record tells us what people do. That doesn't mean that God approves of it. Now, I'll just tell you this. Go all the way back to Genesis it says, a man, singular, shall leave his mother and his father and be bound to his wife, also singular. And so the Bible records for us when people deviate from this, and it's very common, but it doesn't mean that God approves of it. Rather, it's just a record of what people did. I also want you to notice this, and I'll just tell you, be, uh, be clear when you read these accounts. Notice this, it always brings trouble. It always brings trouble. You say, well, this guy had, had the two wives, and this guy had two wives, and whatever else. Uh, it always brings trouble. So God's plan is one husband, one wife, all the way back to Genesis, but God's record does include people that deviate from that. Doesn't mean that God approves of it. Doesn't mean that God 
uh, changed his plan. It's just the record of what people did. Also be sure, it always brings trouble. All right, I'm going to start off reading tonight 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Now there was a certain man from Rathazim Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah and the other Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophi and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. When the Lord, when the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah's wife and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, notice that word, her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. It happened year after year, as often as she went up from the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. So she wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep, and why do you not eat, and why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Now, verse 8 shows you this guy has no sense, uh, has no sense of reality. His wife is upset. His wife won't eat. His wife is greatly grieved, and he says, why are you upset? I'm better to you than ten sons. Verse 9, then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat of the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. So she, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall not come on his head. Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. He's there in the door of the temple. She's there. She's weeping. She's praying. And he's watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she kept speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Remember that. But I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken unto now of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace. And may the Lord of the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. She said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. All right. In the account so far, we, we find out uh, the condition of Hannah. Uh, culturally, in this day, her worth, really her self-worth, her joy, was tied to providing her husband uh, with a child. 
So she's not able to do that. She is distraught. She's upset about that. And the other wife, the Bible calls her her rival, Peninnah, seizes the opportunity to make her feel bad. Here's this rivalry, and you know what? You're not able to have kids, and you haven't blessed your husband this way, and it's a constant reminder, and, I, and she throws that in her face every chance that she gets, and it's a piece of contention always between them. Now, because of that, now it's, it's bad enough, but then you throw uh, Penina into that as well. She is in despair. Uh, she is hopeless, and actually the situation is helpless. Now, I want you to think about that. What can she actually do about it? It actually is helpless. She's not able to have kids for whatever reason. She's actually helpless in her situation. Now, there's a big deal here, and I want you to watch what happens to Hannah. Think about her for a second. She is hopeless. She is helpless. And then she is ridiculed, provoked by Penitent. Now, here's what she could have done. She could have become bitter. She could have said, this isn't right, and I didn't deserve this, and I don't know why this has happened. She could have become bitter at Penitent and said, you know what, she's not worth two cents, and we see her character, and she's always stirring the pot. She could have become bitter. She could have sought the help of others. Maybe there's somebody else, and maybe they're an expert in this, and maybe they know the steps that we ought to take. She could have gone out and sought the help of others. She could have come to her husband and said, you know, I don't know what we're going to do, but my hope is in this, and I don't, I don't have any worth, any value if this doesn't take place. And she could have placed her hope in her husband. She could have done a million things. She could have gone to one of the, the fertility gods that were common uh, in the world at that time and, and sought their relief. You know what? We'll go to some pagan religion, and maybe they'll have an answer. On and on and on. She could have just sat in the doorstep and just talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. The reality is this. She can really do nothing, but here's the awesome thing about her. She knew where to go, and so she goes to God. Now, that's a, that's a, a huge thing. That's an awesome thing we see in her. She knows where to go, so she takes her issue to God. Now, I want you to notice when she goes to God, she, she doesn't pretend. She doesn't fake it. She weeps. She prays. She, she tells the, the Lord her issue, he, her pain, and she takes her situation to God. Now, here's a big deal for us to learn tonight. For us tonight, we need to be trained and we need to be trusting to the point that whatever the issue, we take our issue to God. And I'll just tell you, the faster we learn that and the faster we do that, uh, the better our life is going to be. Here's what happens. We have an issue, and it might be financial. It might be health. It might be in a relationship. It might be something comes undone at work. It might be something in the neighborhood. It might be something in your family. Whatever the issue, we have this issue, and we go everywhere for an answer. You know what? There's some expert, and they can tell me the answer. And there's somebody, and they got a Ph.D. in this and they can tell me an answer. Or there's people, and I can go find them, and they'll tell me, well, when I did this, this is what happened. And I had a cousin one time, and this is what happened to them, and they'll tell me what happened to them. We can go over here, we can run over there, and we'll talk, and we'll talk, and we'll talk. And then you watch us, we become anxious, we become bitter, 
we become discouraged. And the answer is this. We need to know where to go. You know what you got a problem? You take it to the Lord. Bible trains us in that. You know who can do something about it? The God that's all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect in wisdom. He's the one we turn to. First and foremost, we turn to God. Let me tell you this. Our lives would be a lot better if we didn't run every which way before we ran to the Lord. You know what, God? I've got a problem. And I'm not saying it's not real. It is real. I'm not saying I'm not hurt. I am. But I'm bringing my issue, my problem to you. That's the first thing we see in her. She knew where to go. All right, the second part on our sheet, a son to serve. Now, remember verse 11. Let me read verse 11 again. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. She made a vow. She's praying, Lord, if you'll answer this prayer, I'll dedicate my child, my son, to you. God answers. Chapter 1, starting in verse 19. Then they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned again to the house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah's wife, and the Lord remembered her. It came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull and an ephah of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. Although the child was young, then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. She said, oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you, praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. All right, I'm going to jump along to chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Now Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a boy, wearing a linen ephod. And his mother would make him a little robe and bring it from year to year, which she would come up with her husband to offer yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children, from this woman in place of the one she dedicated to the Lord. And they went to their home. The Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew before the Lord. Now, this is a very interesting thing. It's kind of hard to understand. God had given her a son, but she had given her son to the service of the Lord. Now, she remembers the vow. 
she gets there and she remembers, Eli remembers the vow. And so she honors the vow. She says, I'm not bringing him here until he's weaned. Once he's weaned as a young boy, I'm going to bring him and he's going to stay here and he'll serve the Lord in the temple as a servant there in the temple. She honored what she said. Now, the, the, the hard part when I read this, she would still go every year. During the year, during the course of the year, she would make clothes for that little boy. When she would go visit, she would take him some clothes that she'd made that year, a, a robe and some other things as well. Now, when I read that, I think that is hard. That is, that is even sad. Her son is there and he's serving and she brings him a little set of clothes and, and gives them to him every single year. It's all a matter of perspective. And, 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 I, and I think we should pull a piece of perspective from this. Here's, here's the thing to understand. Now, that, that seems hard, but here's the thing. The best thing for all people is to be in the will of God. That's the first thing. You know what? The best thing for you and your kids and your grandkids and your friends and your neighbors the people in this church, the best thing for all people is to be found in the will of God. The best thing, and I'll tell you the most awesome thing for any person, is to be used by God. Now, that may be different for you than it is from somebody else, but I want to tell you that the most awesome thing is that God created you for a purpose. He has something for you to do and for you to be found doing what God created you to do. Now, I don't know what that is. It may be different for each of us. But it's an awesome thing to say, you know what? You're serving the purpose God has for you. Now, here's a picture of that right here. And I'll just tell you, if you're a parent or a grandparent, um, whatever age your kids are, this picture is the reality of all of our kids. Here's the truth. Did you know our kids are gods? Our kids are gods. I think about that and think, ooh, I don't know. I, I, I take possession of my kids. Uh, our kids are God's. Our kids exist to bring glory to God. Listen, whatever your age your kid is, the reason they exist is that they would bring glory to God. In seeing that kid, they would say, there is a living God. There is a hope and a Savior. The purpose of our kids is to bring glory to God. And then here's the deal. And so... But they belong to God. They're in the service of God. And so what are we? We're temporary stewards of those kids, which means this. There's a time that we train them and we teach them and we discipline them and we correct them and we are stewards, caregivers of God's kids. And that's the mindset that I think you wonder today in our world, um, Watch, watch what happens, there, and there's something crazy every day going on in our culture, in our world, in our government, in our schools, and you watch folks and they'll say, what's the problem? And they'll say, kids, kids aren't what they used to be, kids don't do this, kids don't do this. And then it's not very long before they say, well, it's the parents, the parents don't do this, the parents don't do that, and the, the kids are like this because the parents are like that. What has to happen is we have to have a change in our mindset that we are raising God's kids. And, and when we understand we are raising God's kids, I'm going to tell you some things that happen. Your priorities change. Your plans change. Well, I need them to do this. I want them to be here. I want them to do good in these three things. I want everybody to know they can throw a baseball. Pick your thing. 
Our priorities change when we understand they're God's kids. Our plans change. What we put into them. You know what? I've got to make sure they know this and they know that and they know these things. You know what? If they're God's kids, we're going to be careful about what we put into them. We'll be careful about what we leave out. There's some stuff ought not go into those kids. It is a mind change to understand. You know what? The best thing for our kids to be in the will of God, the best thing our kids to be is in the service of God, bringing glory to Him, and we are stewards of them in that process. She figures that out. Uh, she's a pretty awesome person to have that perception. All right, from there that you read the account, Samuel grows. He replaces Eli as God's uh, prophet, God's spokesman. Eli is a judge. Uh, he has two sons. You read the account, sons aren't much count. Uh, the sons figure out how to use their position uh, for self-gain. You actually see that quite a bit. Hey, people have to come to us. Well, we'll profit from that. Uh, so Samuel replaces Eli as God's prophet, God's spokesman. I'm going to read 1 Samuel chapter 3. Samuel becomes God's spokesman. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli. And word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. It happened at that time, Eli was lying down in his place. Now his eyesight had begun to grow dim and he could not see well. Eli the priest is laying down. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And the Lord called Samuel and he said, here am I. Then he ran to Eli and said, here am I for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went down and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. So Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he answered, I did not call my son, lie down again. So Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord had yet been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he rose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. Then Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, go lie down, and if it shall be that he calls you again, then you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Then the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever because of the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. Therefore, I've sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down to morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. But Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here am I. He said, what is the word that he spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also. If you hide anything from me of all the words that he spoke to you. 
So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Thus Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and, and let none of his words fail. All Israel knew from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared at Shiloh because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Pretty interesting story, pretty interesting account. God makes it clear. Uh, he has called Samuel to be his prophet, to be his spokesman. I'll tell you the story. I, I, some of you know the story. Uh, it's kind of, it kind of fits in there, but um, when Sarah Jo was a little girl, she had a Bible called the Princess Story Bible. Princess means Sarah, and I'd, we'd pick that Bible up for her, and she would go to her room and she would read this little Bible. She would look at the pictures in this Bible. One uh, Monday night, we'd, we'd had Sunday night, and it was, it was Monday night, and she was in her room, little tiny girl, and she's reading 1 Samuel. And I used to go, that's how you knew she was weird, because she's in her little room reading 1 Samuel. But she's in her room reading 1 Samuel, and she walks in my room, it's about 8.30 at night, and she said, Daddy. And I said, yeah. And she said, when God calls you, you better answer. And I said, that's right, Sarah Jo. And she started crying and said, I think God's calling me. So I pulled her up on the bed and we talked about Jesus. We talked about sin. We talked about the Savior we have in Christ. And that's the night that she put her faith in Jesus Christ. You know what I get out of that? You can be reading in 1 Samuel and see Jesus in every piece of that. Little tiny girl did as well. After some time, he begins to speak. He is the spokesperson for God. After some time, uh, the account moves along. Israel is, is found doing a weird thing, but it's, it's a pretty common thing. They are found watching their neighbors, and they see the fanfare of their neighbors. They see the army come blowing into town. They see the chariots. They see the horses all decorated up. They see the flags that are flying. They, they hear the horns. And then they see the kings of those nations. And so they start watching, and, you know, we, we don't have anything like that. We have no fanfare like that. But we, we watch their king as he goes down the road. We watch their king as he comes for a visit. And so they start watching the neighbors, and they say, we want to be like them. They say, we, we want to have a king. So they ask Samuel, Samuel, would you ask God to give us a king? Samuel says, that's not a good idea. That's not a good plan. They say, Samuel, we, we want to be like the neighbors. Will you ask God to give us a king? 1 Samuel chapter 8. Verses 4 through 7. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you've grown old. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, 
in that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now listen to their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. They come along and they say, we want a king. He says, it's not a good idea. They say, we want a king. God says, okay, give them a king. Tell them you're going to find them a king, but you're going to warn them first. All right, here, here's a question before we move along. question is this. Why as people do we watch the neighbors instead of watching God? And that sounds like a problem they had then. It's actually a problem that we have now as well. We, we find ourselves watching the world, watching the culture, seeing what they do, thinking that's better, thinking we want some of that, and, and we forget God's way is best. Watch these folks. God has a plan for them. God has a prophet speaking to them. God is actually leading them. Can you imagine leading them along? They have no king over them that can abuse them, and God's way is best for them. And yet they say, you know what? We want to be like the neighbors. We want to be like the neighbors. Here's the thing for us tonight. We need to be quick to say God's way is best. What if I don't understand it? What if it goes against the culture? What if the world hates it? God's way is best, and then we have to trust and move in that statement. You know what? God's way is best, so that's what we are going to do. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 10 through 22. So Samuel spoke all the words of the Lord to the people who had asked him of a king, and he said, this will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. He's going to take your sons. They're going to run before him. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and of fifties and some to do his plowing and reaping his harvest and making weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He's going to take your kids and put them into his own service. He will take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. He's going to take them too. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves to give them to his servants. Hey, we need these for the kingdom. He will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards to give to his officers and to his servants. He will also take your male servants and your female servants and the best young men and your donkeys, and he will use them for his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become servants. Then you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you've chosen for yourselves. And the Lord will not answer you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. We know what we want. We know what's better. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Now, after Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the Lord's hearing. The Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and appoint them a king. So Samuel said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. Interesting thing, interesting reality. One of the ways God judges his people one of the ways he corrects his people is to actually give them what they want. And, and you come along, Book of Romans says the same thing. 
I want this, I want this, I want this. One of the ways that God corrects himself is, well, then you can have it. You do it that way. And when it comes all undone, when the wheels fall off, and when you got trouble on every side, God says, you know what? My way was best all along. This is exactly that way. We want a king. He's going to enslave you. He's going to take your stuff. You're going to end up working for him. We want a king. And God in his judgment says, well, then give them what they want. And that's how he corrects them, points them to the truth. His way is best. All right, the first king, if you were to read along, the first king is big. He's tall. He's impressive. King Saul, the first king of Israel. Uh, the Bible tells us Samuel anoints him with oil. Uh, that is a symbolic marking. This man is the king, uh, a, a way to set him aside as king. Uh, later, we're going to see, we're going to get more into this in the next couple of weeks, how Saul fails. Uh, Saul doesn't turn out. And so God appoints, and then Samuel anoints King David. So, okay, Saul's going to fail. He's not going to pan out, turn out. And so God is going to appoint uh, King David. Uh, Samuel's going to go, and he's going to anoint him, mark him as king as well. Now, I think it's interesting, King David, again, we're going to get there next week. He's not the most likely one the way Saul is. In fact, he's not even the most likely in his family. Now, when they go to, to pick him, they say, well, it's this brother and this brother and this brother, the least likely even of his own family. Last thing we're going to see, and this is where we're going to end tonight. The people wanted a king. God was their king. And that's what God says, two different places. God was their king. They wanted a king. They wanted a, a physical king, a person that could get in a chariot and go out to battle and, and make a big show. One interesting thing, God appoints King David. Out of that line, out of that family, guess what? Is going to come the last king, Jesus. The one the Bible says, the king of kings, the one true king is going to come out of that line. And so I, I watch how we, we pull this in tonight. It goes back to Jesus again. We want a king. You know what? God does what's best for his people. They need to be corrected. They needed to see the truth. But in seeing the truth, they're going to see they needed not an earthly king. They needed a heavenly king, our king, Jesus. God works all things together for good. Doesn't he always do that? They want a king. Guess what we end up with? In God's grace, our king, Jesus Christ. Glad you're here tonight. Pray that God encouraged you, spoke to you, blessed you in our study tonight. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. I'll lead us in a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. Glad you were here tonight. Let's pray. During Father, we come. We're thankful for tonight. We're thankful for your truth. We're thankful for your word. I pray, Lord, that we would learn tonight that our answer is in you. And so we should quickly turn to you, that you've never lied to us, never left us, never forsaken us. And so I pray that our trust would be in you. I pray, Lord, that those that are in this room, those that are hearing, listening tonight, that we'd be quick to understand you surely, truly do want the best, have the best for us. And so I, I pray, Lord, we'd be quick to realize that. And then in the midst of our still stubborn-headed rebellion, you give us a king that will forgive and renew and restore and redeem in the person of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for that. 
I pray, Lord, that we have a, a greater understanding of our King as we leave here tonight. Lord, we do praise you tonight. We do thank you. We do worship you tonight. Again, I pray that this will shape us for the, the rest of our week as we go through the next few days that we'll think about it, consider it, and that we'd bring you glory in our response to it. Again, we pray for our kids meeting right now, our, our other groups as well. We hold them up to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Glad you're here.